right, everyone. Good evening. This is Top of the Key. We're listening to River West Radio 104.1 FM Milwaukee. I am Stefan, and I am going to be rolling solo once more. Uh, Justin uh, had a prior engagement, and so he is not going to make it. It ends his consecutive streak at, what, three shows now? They say the best availability or the best ability is availability and it seems like Justin just can't stay healthy, can't stay on the field. Might have to restructure his, his contract or something, maybe make it more incentive laden or something. I don't know. We'll see. I uh, hope everyone's had a good Friday. Uh, I got spring break coming up next week. So for those of you that are going to be on spring break and going on vacation or doing something fun, uh, that will be exciting. So uh, have fun doing that. Uh, I won't be doing anything exciting. I'll just be here. So manning the fort maybe we'll get a podcast on uh, we want to do a big nfl offseason deep dive uh, i'm going to talk a little bit about some stuff that's going on in the nfl today there's been a bunch of player movement player signings uh, a couple trades um we'll talk about david irving we'll talk about antonio brown there's something i want to bring up with dak prescott as well uh, and then we'll get a little bit into the nba uh, the Lakers struggles and they're out of the playoffs. So we might look at some of the standings and then I might go at uh, some of our awards, some of the awards so far. Um, there's a big talk about the MVP right now, defensive player, most improved player. There's a lot of candidates for like coach of the year. Uh, right now there's a lot of stuff going on. R- Rookie of the year has been uh, the last month or so has now been actual race with Trey Young starting to actually turn it on and, and shoot the ball well. And the Hawks are playing uh, a little bit better. Um, which I didn't really expect. Justin and I both didn't really like Trey Young coming out of the draft, but it's possible the Mavs could keep their draft pick if they get inside the top four. Their pick is top five protected that they gave to Atlanta. Remember, they traded for Kristaps Porzingis as well. So to be able to keep the top five pick and add it to Porzingis and Doncic next year while also having a, a solid amount of cap space this summer puts the Mavs in a pretty solid position and a good position uh, moving forward. Uh, just a reminder, everyone, go ahead and find our iTunes page, Top of the Key Podcast. It has all of our archived podcasts and radio shows. Um, subscribe. Um, new episodes will pop up whenever we put them up. You can uh, rate us, leave us some feedback, let us know if there's something that we can do better, maybe besides having a tandem team and not doing so much solo work. But um we're going to be back next Friday. We're here every Friday, obviously, 10 to 11 p.m. Central. So let's shift gears now and let's talk about the NFL. Let's start with the big news right now. Today, Friday, March 1st, was supposed to be, or excuse me, March 8th, uh, was supposed to be the deadline for the Antonio Brown trade, a deadline that was essentially arbitrary, arbitrarily placed uh, on this deal by the Steelers. Antonio Brown is due a roster bonus of $2.5 million on March 17th. The league year doesn't start until the 13th, which is, I believe, next Wednesday. So any trade can't be made official until then, but it sounded like the Steelers want to deal Antonio Brown before the 17th, obviously, so that they do not have to pay his $2.5 million roster bonus. His cap hit um, against the Steelers this season if he's traded will be $21 million in dead money. So you can see why they're trying to hold out and get something of value for Antonio Brown and not just sort of give him away. We've heard a lot of fluctuating values in Antonio in the Antonio Brown sweepstakes. Apparently the Steelers are asking for a first round pick 
The Raiders got a first-round pick for Amari Cooper this past year. While Amari Cooper is much younger than Antonio Brown, obviously he's not nearly as productive as Antonio Brown, especially uh, consistently productive over several years. And obviously Amari Cooper, though, is cheaper than Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, um, I believe, is on the three-year. He has about $38 million left on the back end of his deal, although he has stated that he, or it's report being reported that he wants more money and a new deal should he be traded to a new team. He wants to possibly be the highest paid receiver in football. Currently, that's held by Odell Beckham Jr. at about $18 million a year. So a team would have to give up an asset. And you can see why a team might not want to give up a first-round pick. And then on top of that, give Antonio Brown a huge contract. He's 30 years old. He'll be 31 years old when during the season. He has had a absolutely historic a productive run the last six years he is the only player in nfl history that includes jerry rice the only player in nfl history to have six consecutive seasons of over 100 yards we went over antonio brown's stats last week the guy has you know 12 13 14 1500 yards every year uh, usually with double digit touchdowns and he remains one of the most productive players on the field one of the hardest working players uh, in practice certainly and it was reported apparently last night that the Buffalo Bills were going to step up to the plate and make the trade for Antonio Brown. However, apparently they didn't want to relent and give him all that money. And then secondly, Antonio Brown essentially vetoed the trade himself, saying he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to go there. He wouldn't report. And that's one of the things that essentially Antonio Brown sort of has a de facto no trade clause being that he has come out publicly and said that he doesn't need to play football. And if he were traded, say, to a team that he did not want to play for, he would not report. It's also possible he may not report for the Steelers if they were to keep him. Uh, So it it sort of gives teams cause to pause. Again, if you're going to trade for this guy, you have to give him the money too because otherwise you give up an asset and he's not going to report to your team and then you just gave away a draft pick. And again, this creates an issue for the Steelers because they want a higher draft pick, but teams are not going to be willing to relent. Um, I still think they could get a second round pick, maybe a third round pick plus stuff, you know, third and an extra, you know, third and a fourth or, you know, two thirds or something like that. I guess it depends to what, how much money he wants and what he's actually willing to accept. He might be willing to accept, you know, um, a little bit less money on a better team or something. We don't really know exactly what he exactly what he wants. Although it's he put out an Instagram video earlier, maybe it was a Facebook Live video earlier today, saying that he's going to announce his team in just a little bit. There's a lot of speculation right now that it's the Oakland Raiders, my Oakland Raiders, being that they have three first-round picks and would have, obviously, pretty much the most capital to offer the Steelers. They have the picks 24 and 27, and obviously number four in the draft. They're not going to give up number four. Uh, but, it, you know, a lot of people are speculating that the Raiders would give up 24 or 27 to get Antonio Brown. And while I understand it makes it's a logical jump because of the draft capital, I don't think it makes sense for the Raiders for a few reasons. First, like I said, Antonio Brown is 30, going to be 31 during the season. He's not, he doesn't really fit the Raiders timeline. 
Um, you know, this team was 4-12 and this past year. It exposed all of the holes that this team has on offense, on defense, uh, lack of playmaking, weapons on the outside, a lack of a running game. The offensive line was was terrible this past year. Derek Carr played awful this past year. Uh, the defensive line was one of the worst in football. Uh, they had the worst pass rushing unit in the league. Um the linebacking core, it, it was atrocious. They're playing a lot of youngsters. The secondary is an absolute mess. Most of the guys are wandering into free agency or are underperforming. I'll talk about, uh, you know, they tendered Daryl Worley, who was one of their starting corners last year. He played okay, but certainly, you know, not a lockdown corner. And Gary and Conley, their first-round pick from a couple years ago, has yet to live up to expectations there. They're going to probably have to add, you know, play in the secondary. Uh, Marcus Gilchrist, their safety is a free agent. Reggie Nelson's a free agent who they better not bring back. He's awful and old. He's been terrible this entire time there. He's out of, pl- out of position on every play. Uh, Carl Joseph is going to remain there. Um, but the safety market is robust. This is a, a spot where the Raiders can get a young safety on a, a solid deal because there's so many guys out there. There's, you know, Eric Weddle we'll talk about in just a minute. He's older. But, you know, Demarcus Joyner is out there. The Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew is out there. Uh, Earl Thomas is out there. Uh, they could bring back Marcus Gilchrist. Uh, did I say LaMarcus Joyner? Um, who else is out there? Darian Stewart was released by the Broncos, even though he's, you know, I think 31 or 32. Um, you know, Landon Collins is out on the market. There's a number of guys out there that the Raiders could sign that would be basically plug-and-play starter um, that they should be able to get on a decent contract because of the the market but so i don't think that antonio brown fits the timeline of this team this team is going to take a couple years to get good they they you know assuming they keep their draft picks they're going to use them and build you know through the draft and then this team in a year or two is probably going to be where they want to be and contending possibly for the playoffs Uh, you know the chiefs we are seeing they're going to be a dominant force in the AFC West, but the Broncos have taken a step back and they don't look like, I mean, Flacco's a band-aid, you know, uh, they don't have a franchise quarterback. Their future is in flux and the Chargers still have rivers and he'll be there for another, you know, year or two and then he'll be gone and they don't exactly have a, a plan in place either. So it's possible the Raiders could be challenging the Kansas city chiefs in a year or two for dominance in this division for a while. If the Raiders can, you know, put the pieces together long term. <clears throat> Excuse me. The other issue is that it doesn't really make sense for the Raiders to send a 24 year old Amari Cooper to Dallas for a first round pick and then turn around in the offseason and give that first round pick for another receiver who's two to three times more expensive who's seven years older and who comes with a ton of off-the-field baggage and issues and a guy that you have to rework his contract should you trade for him. I don't think it makes sense in that in that regard. I don't think it makes sense, like I said, for their timeline. I think the Raiders, they have a lot of cap space. This offseason, if they're going to splurge in free agency, which I don't necessarily recommend, we see every year a team you know wins in free agency so to speak and the players just aren't they don't live up to expectations generally there's very few free agent contracts in football that are really lived up to um 
a lot of times it's these bargain deals that you find and a player outperforms. Uh, but generally these big money deals uh, don't usually, I mean, look at some of the big money deals last year, a guy like, you know, Kirk Cousins. Did Kirk Cousins, you know, work out for the Minnesota Vikings? No. And now they're in a dire situation with their cap that they're going to have to possibly dump some of their defensive starters. And that defense wasn't as good as it should have been last year. And should they lose that, they're not going to have money to revamp the offensive line. I mean, they're, they might be in trouble. Um, so I don't necessarily think that, like I said, Antonio Brown to the Raiders makes sense, even though I understand why everyone would think with, with the draft picks why they would do that. I, the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of people projecting at the number four pick them to either take a guy like Nick Bosa or a guy like Josh Allen. And it's just funny to me that they had a premier pass rusher. And, again, I know under, I understand that exactly didn't fit their timeline if they're going to rebuild with Khalil Mack, you know, now being the highest-paid defensive player in football. But you have a Hall of Fame pass rusher in his prime – and you traded him, and then you're going to use your top five draft pick on another pass rusher who you hope is going to be as good as Khalil Mack, and then what? You're going to have to pay him. I mean, it's just sort of a kick-the-can situation, um, and they do need help on the defensive line. That would be the number one place I would go. Uh, the other idea I had would maybe be taking Devin White at number four. I also wouldn't be opposed to them taking Dwayne Haskins or even Kyler Murray if they're there at four and moving on from Derek Carr. Uh, I've talked about that. I would be okay with the Raiders just completely rebuilding in that sense. <clears throat> I don't think that that'll happen. Uh, the The quarterback market is sort of weird this offseason. There's actually more QBs out on the market than there is demand, which is almost never, uh, which is almost a ne- you know never happens. It's it's an occurrence that never happens. Uh, you know, in the free agency market, you're going to see Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Blake Bortles will likely be released. Uh, Ryan Tannehill will likely be released. Nick Foles is going to be, um, you know, uh, you know we saw Joe Flacco was out on the market, even though it was a trade market. So and there's only a couple more teams that are now going to need a quarterback. I mean, you're looking at, you know, maybe the Dolphins in the future. Um, the Jags have been linked to Nick Foles. Uh, you know, the Giants are going to need one. And that's kind of about it. Washington sort of solved their issue with Alex Smith maybe not playing, you know, grabbing Case Keenum as a stopgap. That doesn't preclude them from maybe drafting a quarterback in the first round either. Um, but I think Antonio Brown needs to go to a team that's contending and has a proving quarterback. I think that's going to make him the most happy. I think you know going to Buffalo would have been a disaster for him playing with Josh Allen, who completed only fifty-two percent of his passes last season. That and that's not going to fly. Antonio Brown's going to be upset. He's not going to be getting his passes, his numbers, etc. He needs to go to a, a team that has you know a solid QB that's going to get him the ball. You know the Packers have been rumored, although it's going to be hard to fit. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers and Antonio Brown in under that cap if he wants all that money. Um, but again, it says the the reports are that a trade is imminent. Uh, it should happen very soon, but we have not heard an actual deal said. Uh, again, the Buffalo Bills thing just totally fell through. Um, and we don't know... Uh, We'll see. Antonio Brown's one of the more vocal guys out there. He's put a, talked a lot on his social media, which I think has actually led to some hesitation from teams and actually led to teams um, sort of leveraging that against the Steelers and offering less, trying to cite that he's some sort of distraction. Um, and so I think that the Steelers have been frustrated with that. Other teams are probably trying to use that, um, and they know how hard he is. I mean, John Gruden came out and said, you know, he's one of the most hard, he's the hardest working player in football. 
I just don't think it fits their timeline. I think he needs to go to a, a ready-made contender. Let's move on. Uh, I have a lot more to get into. Let's talk about Kyler Murray briefly. I want to just get into something uh, that Charlie Casserly said. Charlie Casserly was a former GM of the Washington football team. They actually did win the Super Bowl during his tenure in 91, I believe it was. It was either 91 or 92. Uh, and then he, he was a GM there for a little bit and then was the GM of the Texans. Um, his last 11 years, he only made the playoffs twice. Uh, he drafted guys like Heath Schuler, et cetera, Derek, or excuse me, David Carr for the Texans, so some quarterback busts. He came out this past week and said that the feedback that he he cited anonymous sources as well, which I think is a huge issue in the sports world right now, in the sports journalism world. I'll get into that in just a second. But he cited anonymous sources and went on national television and said that the feedback that he got from a couple of teams, like three maybe teams, uh, which sort of was glossed over. A lot of people thought it was more teams than it was, but he said it was the worst feedback of any highly touted quarterback he has ever gotten. And he's been, I mean, he's been in the business obviously since the 80s. So you're talking 30 to 30 plus years of doing combine scouting, etc. To me, that is not only across the line, but I think it's, totally false and i think that it's he is incredibly irresponsible with his platform so first let me just say that some of the feedback that he's getting probably is teams who are behind or later you know maybe don't pick in the top five maybe pick at six or seven or eight uh and those are teams that want maybe kyler murray or want to try to trade up and so they are going to try to i mean you know he sort of handled the height and hand size concerns at the combine the weight concerns we've seen his tape he's the heisman trophy winner but teams are going to always still want to so they need to attack something if they want his draft stock to fall so they're going to go at his reputation his work habits etc and so that is a way to attack his character so that maybe he does fall in the draft so a team can pick him up so it's sort of a a team that probably likes kyler murray is the one that is feeding this negative information to charlie casserly which is sort of messed up in its own way. Secondly, though, I think it's just a flat-out lie. I mean, you're telling me that Kyler Murray has had worse feedback than a guy like Jamarcus Russell had? Jamarcus Russell was given a, what was it? It was either a tape or a, I think it was, yeah, it was a tape by, I think it was the Raiders. Uh, They gave him a tape. Maybe it was a different team that drought that was trying to do a combat. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But this is a true story. They gave him a tape of you know plays or packages to study, and I think it might have been blitz packages. And he came back to whatever the interview was and claimed that he watched it and talked to them about that. But they gave him a blank tape. The concerns with Jamarcus Russell, his out of shape, etc., were huge. There is apps, and he did not understand, could not read defenses, could not adapt on the field wasn't prepared for the nfl at all you're telling me that kyler murray a top 10 draft pick likely in two sports who won a heisman trophy who we saw baker mayfield the number one overall pick the year before who's a similar player to to kyler murray be the number one pick and have success in that offense you're telling me he's got the worst feedback of any qb in the last 30 plus years i i just don't believe it flat out it just sounds stupid so I think that that is another issue that I have with with Kessley. But then the third thing is that 
this is, again, sort of irresponsible sports journalism in my mind. Charlie Cashley knows teams in this time of the year with the draft are always feeding you BS, feeding you lies. And instead of understanding that and, um, you know, either going, delving deeper into this and maybe talking to other teams, talking to Kyler Murray, talking to, you know, people around him or something like that, getting their feedback on how meetings went or, or other things, he needs to know that he can't go on TV and say these things, citing anonymous, again, these anonymous sources too. Uh, too many people in the sports world right now are too afraid to put their names on these hot takes and things. And they just, it, it makes these guys, when they go on TV, it makes them sound to me foolish because you're citing something anonymous, something you can't, um, you can't back up with any credible evidence. And yet you're going on national television and attacking the basically character and reputation and work ethic of a 21 year old kid who is a baseball and football star. I don't think he'd be as good as he was if he didn't have, you know, these good work ethics and things. I mean, he's in play for the number one pick at five ten as a QB. There's no way he would be in play for that without being, uh, you know, without having that work ethic. The other issue that I don't think it's so much in this was present in this case but has these overtones is there's racial overtones with this as well for years in the NFL uh you know black quarterbacks were essentially not allowed black players were essentially not allowed to play quarterback um they were moved to other positions and the, the idea was that they were not apparently didn't have the football IQ to be able to play quarterback. And obviously that's just totally ridiculous. Uh, you know, even a hall of famer like Warren moon was told that he should be playing wide out and he had to go, you know, in other leagues to prove himself before he, you know, was able to play in the NFL at that high level. And, you know, there's this connotation with these black quarterbacks that, you know, they can't read the defenses and they're more athletic and running quarterbacks. And we've seen that dynamic brought into the NFL more with guys like Cam Newton, guys like Russell Wilson, RG3, uh, you know, even guys like, you know, back in the day, Donovan McNabb, uh, Dante Culpepper before he tore his ACL was, you know, more mobile, uh, you know, Michael Vick, um, you know, those, those types of quarterbacks. And so the, the, the mold has already been broken. Um, and I think that attacking, a quarterback there in that spot um, can lead to thoughts or, 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 like I said, overtones of that. Even if Charlie Cashley didn't mean it that way or didn't intend it that way, it has that feel to it as well. Um, and I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like what he said. I don't like going on TV and citing anonymous things to go bash a 21 year old kid. Like, I just thought it was unbecoming of Charlie Cashley. He should be embarrassed of himself. He should be embarrassed that he said something like that, uh, especially, like I said, with no real um, credible evidence to the. To, to go on besides just again citing anonymous sources that again are probably feeding him lies or disinformation on purpose and he should be smarter and uh, you know better at his job to disseminate that information and not just you know spew exactly what someone is telling him they need to understand why uh, you know, why an executive or a scout or whatever is trying to tell, why are they conveying this information to you? Are they just being honest? Do they have an agenda? Are they trying to get this guy? What team is he? Uh, what team is this person from? Where did they pick in the draft, et cetera? Do the, does that team need a quarterback, et cetera? So there's a lot at play that I think um, 
that I think needs to be addressed. That I think, you know, like I said, I don't know. I mean, Kyler Murray's agent came out and just scorched Charlie Castle, and there's been a lot of people that have been slamming him. He did not have a good record um, drafting QBs and, and drafting, really, uh, during his tenure uh, with Houston and, and really didn't do great in Washington in the back end. So there's some people that are already quite, you know, questioning his resume and then, you know, obviously questioning this. I've never really been a fan of Charlie Castellis. Um I frequently, you know, have seen, you know, on NFL Network, ESPN, whatever. I think he's on NFL Network, whatever he is. You know, you see these experts and these analysts, analysts, uh, analysts, excuse me, uh, you know, telling their opinions about certain things at different times. You know, they bring in different guys to talk about certain subjects and you sort of get a feel um, for who you trust and who you under who you believe in and who you believe has actual real information and and there are certain analysts that I really like and I really trust what they have to say um, a lot of them are you know former players too that I, uh, you know they are more insiders um, and not that Charlie Hasley wasn't because obviously he was a GM for a number of years but he just doesn't ever seem to know or have a clue of what he's talking about and it bothers me and there's a lot of those guys on ESPN and on these networks that don't really do their homework on players on teams and they just go on national TV or go on the radio and talk about things that they just don't really either understand or don't have a full grasp of and it's frustrating to listen to um, but I mean you got to do what you got to do um, let's move on I don't want to get too much into Kyler Murray there'll be a lot more going on when we talk about the draft um Justin and I will probably do some kind of mock draft thing and do a draft special and a podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of the NFL draft. It's a big event I like to um, do every year. You know, I like that they spread it out into Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so I can kind of split it up. Uh, it, it's it's a fun time. I love the NBA draft too, um, but the NFL draft is obviously longer and, and more in-depth, so I, I really enjoy that. Uh, let's talk about a couple of Cowboys. First, I just want to give a... Um, not necessarily a shout out, but just, uh, you know, um, Dak Prescott, um, he has a, a couple of dogs. One of them was a pit bull. And apparently, um, the other day or a week ago, whatever it was, um, his dogs were out and, uh, one of his dogs was in some kind of altercation with another dog. And one of his neighbors tried to break it up and, and Dak's dog bit, uh, the lady that was trying to break these dogs up. And apparently she's going to lose her finger, um, and she had to be going to the hot, she had to go to the hospital and there's now, um, he, his dog, I think has been quarantined and there's going to be a, a hearing on whether or not he's going to be labeled as a, I think it's a, he labeled as a dangerous dog and it's possible the dog among some of the punishments or, or possible outcomes could be that the dog could be put down as a pit bull owner and as a pit bull owner who has a dog that is dog aggressive uh, I have a former fight dog, a uh, former bait dog, um, Rosie, who is not normal. She is a great and sweet, loving girl with kids and babies and people um, and is super well-behaved in the house. She doesn't go in the garbage. She doesn't, you know, chew on anything. She doesn't go in the bathroom in the house. Um, I leave her treats right on the counter, open and out, and she doesn't ever try to go in them. Uh, she, I could leave my steak dinner on the table, on the coffee table, and get up and go in the other room to go do something for a minute or two, and she won't even think about touching the food. Uh, so she's barely well-behaved, but she, you know, has had trauma from her past, and dogs are a trigger for her. So if dogs come 
you know, at her or towards her, especially if they are barking or excited or something, she will react and react hostily. Um, and if dogs get in her space, she has bitten dogs on occasion. Um, and I've had to, on occasion, try to break those up. Uh, one of the worst things you can do is stick your fingers and stick your hands in where dogs' mouths are. And I have learned that the hard way as well. Um, I have cuts and things from, um, and I think I have actually some nerve damage in my index finger on my left hand from a time that I was bit in the hand during a, a dog altercation. So I can definitely sort of, um, I understand the emotion of trying to break a dog fight up and stuff, but if it's not your dog as well, I, I think that that's something that you need to recognize. But, uh, you know, I kind of feel bad for her, but at the same time, I, I you know, I understand as a, like I said, a dog owner, like I feel bad for, for Dak and I, we don't, I, you know, I don't know all the details and everything, but, uh, hopefully, um, they can find a resolution that works for everyone and so that dad can keep his dog. Um, if I were Dak and I had lots of money, which I don't, but he does, um, I would get better security for your dogs, get a higher fence, get a big fence, uh, secure them somehow. Um, I've managed, you know, with little means, um, to be pretty secure with my dog. The few occasions that we've you know, I guess not a few, but the several occasions we've had over the years is usually because almost on almost all occasions, except for maybe one or two, has been because other people's dogs get loose. They get out of their yard. They're not on a leash in a park or something, and they run towards us or they run at Rosie. And sometimes there's just nothing I can do. Um, and it's tough, but uh, so hopefully they can. Um, figure that out i just saw the article though that uh, that she is going to lose a finger i'm guessing she's going to obviously sue um and so hopefully uh there can be a a positive and happy re resolution to that case uh, or to that issue with everyone involved but let's talk about one of the other cowboys david irving who is essentially quitting or retiring from the nfl he's only i believe 25 26 years old he's only been in the league for a few years he's had multiple suspensions over the last few years because of repeated violations of the substance abuse policy, specifically because he te uh, tests positive for marijuana. And we've seen the league is sort of a little, sort of slowly changing its tune on its marijuana policy. They raised the threshold for testing positive. Um, and I think in the future it will change um, as far as especially for medicinal purposes and for pain management for these players. Right now, the opioid crisis is a huge issue, not only in uh, in football, but in our country as a whole. Um, and I'm actually going to be, for school, I'm going to be putting together a written paper on, uh, basically a researching, a legal research paper on the NFL and their, I guess, distribution of opioid pills and how there could be possible legal claims from players in the future that become addicted to these substances and have future issues or even die. There's a couple of cases um, that a couple of widows um, of players have sued um, and a couple of other players have, have sued the NFL and sued teams before uh, claiming that they basically were the reason that players were addicted and or led to their death. It hasn't gone super far, but with the concussion uh, litigation, I think that opens up the door because really you just need to prove negligence on the part of the NFL. Uh, and I think that that's very possible that that could happen, especially because 
we know all of the effects of these things and they're prescribed and given in large time a, a lot large doses to these players and one of the other issues is that since these teams travel right uh, you know across state lines uh, and fly you know every other week or, or playing away games trainers who are not necessarily medical or not licensed necessarily medically to prescribe these things are actually transporting you know hundreds if not thousands of painkillers and prescription schedule one drugs across state lines without uh without you know uh without the permission or permits i guess or or license to do so uh, which technically could be considered drug trafficking uh, obviously you know the they're not rising to that level, but it's um, it's something that could be explored. Um, and I'm looking into so. Um, but anyway, let's get back to David Irving. He um, posted on Instagram that he is retiring. He is uh, last week it was announced he and teammate Randy Gregory were going to be suspended indefinitely for uh, another violation of the substance abuse policy. And David Irving in an Instagram video where he was smoking a blunt uh, was basically saying that it wasn't really about the suspension and stuff, uh, that it was just about all the rules that he didn't want to deal with and how uh, he did cite that he wanted to use uh, marijuana and CBD oil, which is actually um, the cannabinoid ingredient, but minus the THC. So the CBD oil is uh, does not contain the ingredient that gets you high, um, but that also can help with pain um, and can help with apparently with the CTE recovery. Um, but that's banned, but they're, they're feeding players these opioid um, pills that can shut down your kidneys, make you uh, you know addicted, can lead to heroin. We just saw ex-NFL player Barry Cofield, who played for the Giants uh, just this past week, was arrested on um, heroin possession charges, which I'm guessing stemmed from a painkiller addiction in his playing days. And um, you know, so David Irving also cited uh, the Colin Kaepernick situation as well, and he's sort of been just been fed up with the NFL. And as I, I sort of agree with David Irving, just on a principled standpoint, I think he made good points. Although he has an opportunity where, if he were to just play by the rules, this guy, I didn't really know much about in college. Uh, he had a couple off-field incidents in college, which uh, led to his, uh, his dismissal, I believe, at Iowa State. This guy, I didn't really know anything about until one day I was watching a Cowboys game. They're playing against the Buc- uh, the Buccaneers, and this guy was in Jameis Winston's face on almost every play, and I was just amazed. And my dad is a diehard Cowboys fan. I texted him. I was like, "Who is this Irving guy? He's you know jumping off the page, and he's like all these you know this undrafted guy that just picked up whatever yada yada." I was like, "They need to keep this guy. I mean, this guy can be a, a stud next to Demarcus Lawrence." And when he plays, like on a per snap basis, this guy is a, a star player. Essentially, uh, the issue has just been that he's a rotational piece, and then he uh, has had all these suspensions. But he's about—I think he's like six six. He's tall. Uh, he's about two hundred and I think like eighty ish, two hundred and eighty-five pounds. So he can play inside. He can play outside. He can play in the four-three. He can play in the three-four. It allows uh, the Cowboys to have some multiple fronts. Um, and he wasn't really part of the run last year when they had a pretty dominant defense. So I think that they were, you know, they the Cowboys were already willing to let him walk. But uh, with the, with a suspension coming, obviously no no team was going to sign him in free agency. 
and then obviously now he is essentially quitting. Uh, we'll see if maybe in a couple of years, a year or two, he decides to change his tune. We saw Ricky Williams sort of do this. Uh, he didn't, again, he didn't quit just specifically because of weed. There was other issues, uh, you know, Ricky Williams was dealing with with his anxiety disorder, etc. Uh, but Ricky came back to play after you know a little while and was a really good football player. Um, after that with the Dolphins, he had a number of 1,000-yard seasons. He was a really, really good player. And so it's possible, you know, like I said, David Irving's 25, 26. In a year or two, uh, you know, he could come back and still uh, have an impact. So I'm hoping that he can um, come back. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good player. I would love for him uh, to play for the Raiders, uh, suspension or not. Hopefully they can address the... Um, Hopefully they can address the the marijuana issue in the next CBA negotiations. Hopefully the players won't have to give up too much. I think the NFL uh, should just stop really testing for marijuana, um, but we'll I guess we'll see. Uh, there's a couple more things I want to get into. Um, I don't know if I want to go into all these uh, you know signings and cuts and stuff that are happening. We we might want to do uh, one like I said like a big free agency delve on the podcast, but I am going to go over quickly a couple of. Um, trades that just happened. So the Philadelphia Eagles are in a cap crunch situation. Obviously, they have a lot of uh, stud players, and on Super Bowl teams, generally, you know, all these guys start getting paid, and and it's tough. And and the Eagles have had uh, the luxury of Carson Wentz being on a rookie deal, uh, but they had Nick Foles, and now Nick Foles is gone. Um, but they have a lot of you know, penny. I mean, are they going to bring back Jay Ajayi? Um, you know. I don't know if Jason Peters is going to come back. They gave Jason Kelsey a one-year, $11 million extension in their center. They gave Brandon Graham their defensive end who made that strip sack on Brady in the Super Bowl. They gave him a three-year, $40 million extension. And Derek Barnett was supposed to take over the opposite end position for Michael Bennett this year. And obviously Fletcher Cox is, is in there. But in a sort of surprising move, uh, the Eagles are getting rid of Michael Bennett, who had nine sacks for them last season uh, at 33 years old. is still a super productive um, pass rusher. can play, again, inside and outside, similar to David Irving. He's a, Michael Bennett's about 280 pounds. Um, again, he had nine sacks last season. He only um, His salary is only about it's under $7.5 million. I think it's like $7.3 million this year. Um, and there is sort of a lack of pass rushers on the free agency market this year with the tagging with the franchise tagging of guys like frank clark and d ford and uh jadavion Clowney. the the pass rusher uh free agency class is sort of you know preston smith dante fowler nadamican sue who's 32 years old cameron wake who's like 35 36 he's up there um Muhammad Wilkerson is out there who might come back to the Packers. Uh, you know, Trey Flowers for the Patriots, uh, they let walk. And so the Patriots needed to sort of change that, and they didn't want to pay a ton of money in the free agency class. A lot of um, There's a lot of talent in the defensive line in the draft, which might lead to some teams not paying some of these players and, and taking a first round um, or, you know, a high draft pick on the defensive line. Uh, but the Eagles declined uh, their defensive tackle, Jimmy, Timmy Jernigan's option last week. They didn't want to pay him the $13 million, so he becomes an unrestricted free agent. And now they have traded uh, fellow uh, starting lineman Michael Bennett to the New England Patriots. Uh, they get a, they're sending Michael Bennett and a 2027th rounder to New England for a 2025th rounder. Again, clears about $7.5 million in cap space. It gives the Patriots a solid pass rushing replacement to Trey Flowers, a guy that, again, can be um, versatile and play inside and outside. And 
pretty low cost, honestly. I mean, the, the Eagles were reportedly possibly thinking about releasing Michael Bennett had they not found a trade partner. So to get something for him and clear his money off the books, uh, I think Philly, you know, obviously wanted that. And the Patriots get, uh, you know, the rich get richer. They spend uh, pretty low draft capital on a guy that can be your, you know, be a solid uh, a pass rusher, a guy that can get, you know, probably will get you seven to ten sacks this season uh, and, and be a productive player. We saw Martellus Bennett had some good years with Bill Belichick, and he's already come out and said that he wouldn't mind coming out of retirement to play for the Patriots and play with his brother. I don't necessarily know that that's going, uh, going to happen, but uh, I do like the move for both teams. Uh, I think it, it clears, like I said, some space for the Eagles to do some other things with. They might want to keep Ronald Darby, uh, one of their starting corners, though he's coming off a... Uh, torn ACL so I don't know how that's going to work I don't know what kind of money he's going to get out there but the Eagles like I said need to need to rework some some guys and, and figure out how they're going to add to this team because they, they played all right last year Nick Foles sort of saved them and brought them into the playoffs but you could clearly tell they were missing some of the magic they had from the year before and if Carson Wentz can stay healthy I mean they're going to be able to build the team around him um, but I think, like I said, so this is a good move for both teams. Let's talk uh, about another trade that happened. This one involved a quarterback. Um, so we talked last week or two weeks ago about how the Denver Broncos have obtained Joe Flacco, quarterback from the Baltimore Ravens, for a fourth-round pick um, from Denver. And the question was, what are they going to do with Case Keenum? Because Case Keenum was, I believe, he had a base salary of about $11 million, and then he had about $7 million, I think, guaranteed and so the broncos had they cut him would have had to pay out uh, i think like 11 million dollars so they would have given almost 30 million dollars for one year of case keenum and so they decided to trade him to washington washington if you remember alec they traded last year for alex smith and gave him that extension but alex smith broke his leg it's they're unsure if he's gonna be ready for the season we're not sure if he's even ever gonna play again so washington needs to get a veteran quarterback a stopgap at least doesn't preclude them from drafting a quarterback. Uh, I think it's also possible they could grab a free agent quarterback to compete with Case Keenum, a guy like, say, Bortles or Ryan Fitzpatrick or uh, maybe even a Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I guess paying Alex Smith and paying Case Keenum might preclude them from from grabbing a higher price free agency free agent quarterback. Uh, I didn't really think of that. And they have some other guys, like, are they going to pay Jamison Crowder? Uh, they have a pretty good offensive line. Um, so anyway, the... Um, Broncos get a sixth round pick back, um, but they had to send a 2020 seventh rounder. Um, so, I mean, they didn't really get a whole lot and the Broncos had to pay, uh, the Broncos had to pay, uh, what was it about two and a half million or 3 million of the money. So really, I mean, Case Keenan came out with about an extra $500,000 and the the Washington football team for basically taking on Keenum only had to pay for about three and a half million dollars for Case Keenum out of out of their pocket. So it's not a bad move for Washington financially or draft pick compensation wise. Uh, so I think that that's smart. And for the Broncos, I just John Elway has been talked about more and more recently about his um, failings at the quarterback position. Obviously, he signed Peyton Manning 
who was a slam, I mean, I guess not a slam dunk at the time because of the neck injury, but we knew his his talent. If he was healthy, obviously we saw what he could do, but all of the other moves he's made, whether it's been veterans he's brought in or whether it's been draft picks, have been atrocious at the quarterback position, and now there are people starting to talk about that for John Elway and starting sort of this clock on, well, when are you going to get us a franchise quarterback? They have a spot. I think they pick ninth in the draft this year. Is this the time? Uh, do they move up? Do they, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, do they draft a guy and have him sit behind Keenum for a year, or excuse me, Flacco for a year, or do you try to add to the team right now with Flacco and go for a win now mode one more year? I mean, you still have a pretty good defense. You got Philip Lindsay. The wide receiver position is is a wreck right now for them with Emmanuel Sanders being out with that Achilles injury. We don't know what, how healthy he's going to be in the season. They got rid of Demarius Thomas. I uh, like Cortland Sutton, but he's not you know ready yet to be that number one guy. The tight end position is in flux. The offensive line's in flux. Like the 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 Broncos' offense, I think, is going to struggle this year, and I don't think Flacco was a good um, a good replacement uh, for this team, but. Uh, whatever John Elway is going to do what John Elway is going to do. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, so quickly, let's just talk about a cup, um, a signing. Eric Weddle was released from the Baltimore Ravens. He's a former pro bowl safety. His play kind of fell off last year on the stat sheet, even though he was sort of the quarterback of the defense, getting guys in position. If you remember the Ravens defense last year was fantastic. Um, in 2017, he had uh, six interceptions. I think it was nine passes defense. And this past year, he had zero interceptions, only three passes defense. So you can see he doesn't. He's thirty-four years old now. He doesn't quite have the the physical tools that he used to, obviously. But he still has the IQ. Uh, he can get everyone lined up right, etc. And the Ravens released him to save money. There's a robust safety market out there, so they're going to try to get younger. Word is they're going to go at the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, but. The Rams scooped up Eric Weddle on a two-year deal worth about $12.5 million. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be basically a one-year guaranteed deal, and the second year is unguaranteed. This is a move that I think you're going to see more like, or this is a move you're going to see more of from the Rams. They're going to get these 30-plus-year-old guys on these shorter-term, um, lower-bargain deals uh, because they are in sort of a cap crunch situation with again Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, you know, Jared Goff, Brandon Cooks, etc., Michael Brockers. Uh, you know, not to mention if they're gonna keep some of these guys like Marcus Peters or, or keep Dante Fowler. Uh, I don't think they're gonna be able to keep Ndamukong Sue. Um and Lamarcus Joyner, the guy they uh, safety they franchise tag last year, he's gonna be on the open market and so they needed a replacement at a lower cost. And Eric Weddle will provide that for this year. And so I think like I said, you're gonna see more of that from the Rams. They're gonna grab some of these, you know, uh, maybe 30, 31, 32-year-old free agents on a year or two deals that um, are sort of bargain deals so that they can fill out their roster uh, without breaking the bank because eventually they're going to have to pay um, Jared Goff as well. Um, but that safety market, like I said, is going to be crazy. There's you know Darian Stewart, Landon Collins, Earl Thomas, uh, Marcus Gilchrist, Tyron Mathieu, HaHa Clinton Dix. Uh, you know, Eric Weddle was on the market. Jeez, um, who else is even out there? You know, Glover Quinn was was released uh, by the by the Lions, so there is going to be a ton of uh, safeties to be had. Uh, Kenny Vicario's out there. Jonathan Cyprian was released from the Tennessee Titans. Uh, you know, uh, so th- so like I said, there's a there's a ton of guys out there that these uh, that these teams can grab if they're interested in grabbing a safety. 
let's see if there's anything else. Oh, let's talk about the big Browns-Giants trade. Um, the couple years ago, the New York Giants signed Olivier Vernon from the Miami Dolphins on a huge five-year, $85 million deal. He was never a premier pass rusher, but he was sort of an analytics darling with his knockdowns and his pressure rate, etc. cetera. Uh, so he got, a, like I said, a huge deal with the Giants. They sort of played him out of position last year where he was playing outside linebacker. Uh, he played really well the last six weeks of the season. I think he had six sacks the last six weeks and looked like he was living up to that deal. Uh, but the Giants needed to improve that offensive line, and so they made a move with the Browns. The Browns sent guard Kevin Zeitler, who's one of the highest-paid guards, interior linemen in the league, uh, to the Giants in a straight-up deal for Olivier Vernon. And then I believe there was an exchange of fourth and fifth-round picks. So the Browns got a fourth-round pick, and the Giants got a fifth-round pick. Uh, so the Browns got a little bit extra draft capital to go on top of this. I think it helps their offensive line. I don't really understand for their defense – how this works though i mean the giants defense wasn't great last year it sort of fell off they traded damon harrison uh snacks harrison now they're trading olivier vernon uh, who's rushing the passer there uh, you know alec ogletree didn't really work out as the corner there i think this is Jan janoris jenkins last year they traded eli apple uh landon collins is walking in free agency so i don't i mean unless they're just trying to tear down this defense altogether. Uh, I don't really understand. I mean, I understand getting the offensive lineman, but I don't understand trading Olivier Vernon and, and devastating your defense. Um, although I guess it's easier to replace a pass rusher in this draft, the the Giants pick sixth, uh, than it would be to to grab a plug and play like offensive lineman. Uh, so maybe they're thinking improve the line, grab a, a defensive player in the draft, and and go from there. Um, but. Olivier Vernon will now move to Cleveland where he can go back to playing the 4-3. He can be an outside um, defensive end on the 4-3 spot. He played that in Miami, and they play that in Cleveland, and he'll now be opposite of Miles Garrett. So he will no longer be the premier pass rusher, so he'll face a lot more one-on-ones. Um, so he should be have some good stats if he can go one-on-one -on -one with guys and beat them consistently. And then moves Emmanuel Agba a guy that they passed on Bradley Chubb last year, if you remember, because I thought Ogba could take that like next step. He didn't really. Uh, he's a good like rotational pass rusher, but he's not a you know a premier starting guy necessarily. And so I think having Vernon and Garrett and then Ogba are sort of rotating uh, in will be will give them a good good pass rushing combo, and they get good push from the inside as well. Uh, we've seen their secondary; they put together a pretty good secondary. Uh, the Browns did release Jamie Collins. Uh, linebacker from the Patriots that they got a few years ago. They traded a third-round pick in, I believe, 2016 for him, and then they promptly after that gave him a four-year, $50 million deal. He had uh, a good year or so in Cleveland, but they've gone through a couple of schematic changes and coaching changes the last couple of years, and with how bad they were, it sounded like Jamie Collins' attitude was a little bit of an issue and then fit in some schemes was a little bit of an issue. I mean, he was sort of all over the map in New England. He was a pass rusher. He was dropping back in coverage. He was doing all kinds of stuff. He was the sort of the QB out there. He was doing all kinds of things and was really good in New England and then um, just couldn't quite find the same success in Cleveland. But, I mean, a lot of people can't find success in Cleveland with the way that they've been running things out there. So, I, w I mean, he's only 27, I believe, right now. He might be a good guy for the Raiders to take a, a flyer on. They need so much help at the linebacker position. Uh, he could be a guy at, you know, again, he's um, relatively young in free agent terms in the NFL, so he's a guy that still has some prime years left in him um, that you could get. Uh, the other, um, the Rams also released uh, Mark Barron. He was a former safety from the Buccaneers. Uh, he played, I've started, I think he started every game the last three years for the Rams. 
Uh, he has been released. He saves about nine million against uh, saves about nine million dollars in cap space for the Rams by releasing him. But he's another interior um, linebacker that goes into free agency. We talked about the the Ravens before they decided not to tag C.J. Mosley. He's another guy, but he doesn't really play passing down, so he's more of just a a run uh run stopping middle linebacker and he doesn't play a lot on third downs so like how much are you going to pay a guy that you can't play on third downs and pay on passing downs i mean the franchise would have been like 15 million dollars that's so much uh and the ravens have um zadarius smith is also their one of their outside linebacking pass rushers is a free agent don't know if they're going to bring him back uh the ravens have a lot of guys on their defense and in their offense that are in flux. I mean, what weapons are they going to have for Lamar Jackson? Are they bringing John Brown back? I mean, they released Michael Crabtree. They gave Nick Boyle a three-year, $18 million deal, their backup tight end, their blocking tight end, which is a lot of money. Um, they have some cap money to work with. Uh, I just didn't think they should freely spend that on on him. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they build around uh, Lamar Jackson. Let's talk about another trade that happened. Uh, man, this is taking a while. I guess we'll have to shift the NBA stuff till next time. Uh, the Cardinals and Steelers kind of, um, made a deal. The Steelers traded uh, right tackle Marcus Gilbert to the Cardinals for a 2019 sixth round pick. This is basically just a cash dump for the Steelers. They're saving uh, about, uh, I think it's like $7 million against the cap third rounder last year let me see if i can pronounce this right chukwuma Korafor. i think that's how you say his name uh he was a third rounder last year he was sort of competing with the right tackle spot anyway with marcus gilbert so you get a starter on a rookie deal instead and you say this seven million dollars you get a six round pick i like it it eats up a little bit of the cap space for the cardinals uh but they get a they needed to improve the offensive line especially around josh rosen and if they're gonna maybe take kyler murray which has been floated they need to improve the offensive line uh, and I think that that you get a solid veteran here. You get a it's a pretty low draft pick. This is also likely going to be their uh, compensatory pick that they were given. So this isn't even one of their original draft picks. This is essentially a gifted draft pick. So this is basically like just getting Marcus Kilbert uh, for free, getting a starting tackle, right tackle for free. So I can't complain about about that. Um, let's talk about another offensive tackle. Uh, we saw the franchise tag. Um, go out on uh, before we talk about donovan smith i want to talk about some actually you know what let's talk about donovan smith uh the Tampa Bay buccaneers franchise donovan smith their left tackle he's not a premier left tackle he started for them but isn't fantastic um and so they franchised him which was about a i think it was 15 or so million on a one-year deal and then they promptly agreed to a three-year extension worth 41 a little over 41 million dollars with about 27 million dollars in guaranteed money so it's sort of like a two-year deal here uh i mean it solidifies their offensive line i mean i might have if you're not a big believer in donovan smith you might want to just pay the one year 15 and see where it goes next year because you're paying the guy what 13 and a half million dollars essentially this year or i guess per year anyway so why not pay the extra million and a half dollars and not have it be a three-year deal especially if you want to get out of it after next year if he doesn't meet expectations um this is a team that's going to have some some cap um they don't have a lot of cap space right now but in the future next year i think they will with some of these guys coming off the books guys like deshaun jackson um you know, Diamond Smith would have been coming off the books next year stuff. So I think that they could have played it that way. But I trust Bruce Arians. Um, 
I think he's a great coach. I would trust him to make some of the right decisions in Tampa. So if he wants to keep Diamond Smith, I think that's a, a solid move. Um, let's see if there's any more big things that I want to talk about with the NFL. I don't think so. Oh, um, the Jaguars released a bunch of veterans to – oh, I was going to talk about the franchise tag. Uh, we saw the tag go on Clowney, D. Ford, and – Seahawks defensive end Frank Clark and there are actually rumors that all three are being shopped in trades um, which is interesting we saw a number of mostly it was used on pass rushers uh, this offseason I mean or all lineman Grady Jarrett it was used on and then it was used on those three guys it was used on like I said D Ford um, and, and and Clowney and uh, who's the other guy now that I'm blanking Clowney Ford and uh, Frank Clark and so um Teams are sort of willing, uh, those teams have been willing to listen to trade offers. We saw Kansas City also release Justin Houston. Uh, so if they were to trade D Ford and release Justin Houston, I'm not really sure how they'd how they'd rush the passer exactly uh, next offseason or next season. Uh, but uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't hurt to gauge what the market is uh, for those players, but it would just be interesting to see how that is going to play out let's see if there's i think there's one or two other things i want to talk about um the jaguars released a number of veterans to clear out some cap space they're reportedly going after nick Foles, but they released running back carlos hyde who they gave up a fifth round pick this year for that was a disaster he only rushed for 159 yards for them or I think it was 189 in this season. So that was a waste of a fifth-round pick. Uh, they released right tackle Jeremy Parnell, defensive tackle Malik Jackson, safety to Sean Gibson. Um, all those moves saved them about $30-plus million in cap space. They restructured Marcel Darius's deal as well. Uh, so they're going to have some some money to maybe play with a little bit here and there uh we saw the lions release tj ward guard tj ward or excuse me tj lang i'm sorry tj ward's a safety uh the dolphins released danny amandola saving about six million bucks in cap space there uh they released a number of players this offseason andre branch uh etc they um obviously are uh, are trying to just clear the books out there um, we could see ryan Tanhill also released which would give them even more cap space to play with and uh, they have you know no income tax no state income tax in florida and it's miami like i don't think it's going to take too much convincing uh, if you can just show you're a competent team down there might not take too much convincing to have free agents sign there um Man, there's so much more I want to get into, uh, but I do not have time. We only got about a minute left. So this has been Top of the Key, everyone. Reminder, you can follow us on um, or listen to us next week. We'll be back Friday, 10 to 11 p.m. Central Time. I think we're actually going to do a podcast this week. I want to do an NFL offseason free agency thing before free agency starts. Um, and find us on iTunes. Top of the Key podcast has all of our archive shows and everything else. Check that out. Um, we'll be back next week. Justin will be back next week. Um, free agency starts for the um, for the NFL on the 13th. That's when the league year starts, and so we will um, have a big probably review of that on Friday. We'll probably just talk NFL free agency on Friday, so be sure to tune into that, and we'll probably release some stuff on our podcast. So be on the lookout, everyone. All right, have a good week. <laughs>